This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. So for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that you'll find very amazing. There's a lot of the print that is highlighted in red, and those are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that expose a mastery of deception. You will find this from in those videos from many fields of science and archaeology. The vast majority of the public is not aware of these things. It highly confirms the reality of what I am here to share about. I am here sharing about the ultimate source of reality, of all creation, which is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, the one true eternal God, a love that is so integrous and pure that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, innately always chooses that. It is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. This is known as agape love, the highest form of love in the Greek language. Then you have philio, which is solish and feeling love. And then you have the lowest form, which is eros, the sexual love. This love will not condone what is contrary to love. This love is the opposite of corruption. In fact, it is the very destroyer of corruption. It is only what could be ultimately trustworthy and worthy to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it. Thus indicative that only this quality could be who God is, the very source of reality, which is this ultimate perfection of love. And it is transcended in this, that this love has always been beyond even the time and space realm in the infinite past, maybe, in, and of course, there are many other dimensions as well. It has always been so great and ultimate in its perfection that God is so great that, yes, he could not only communicate with his creation as he did with Abraham in Genesis 18 when he makes for those three angels a meal and he addresses one of them as Yahweh which means basically the ultimate reality separate and afar and above and beyond all creation. Yes, Jesus Christ visited Abraham there. Yes, God's love has always had that capacity in the infinite past to be so great that he could condescend into this world and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and be reconciled to God. Yes, he became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you, and if it was only you that was, that was created, he would have done that for you. And I say that with strong assurance because I've written a book which is titled 
Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon and Kindle or also in print format, 368 pages. And there are many examples of those that are genuine Christians there that describe when they stood before Jesus Christ in heaven in a dimension far superior to this very vague, inferior third physical dimension, way more real by magnitudes. In that dimension, they experienced a love that cannot be described or comprehended in this physical dimension. And they knew that Christ loved them and felt the emanation from his being, from every part of his being, from his foot to his head to, and looking into his eyes. The emanation of such love that they knew that if they were the only one that he created, they would have, God would have done that for them. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love. There is no love that could exist that is greater than this love or that could be such that could be entrusted with unlimited power and authority without being corrupted thereby, thus indicative that he is the very one true eternal God, the very source. And so I am here to give you the good news that you have ultimate destiny and purpose for your life. Now these messages are for those that have come to cry unto God from the depths of their heart, meaning it with all their heart, and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life and to cleanse me of all my sin and to forgive me. To those that have been brought forth in you by the Spirit of God, by the deep turning in their heart to God, out of the recognition of the description which I have just made here of who God could only be. Every other perception that's a monotheistic perception of God would be idolatrous to believe that God is not holy, for example, or that he's some kind of a tyrant, that his holiness, that is the integrity of his love that is so severe on our corruption, on our sin, and is resulting in all the suffering around us, would mean that somehow we have to appease some kind of dictator is a wrong perception of God. His holiness that is severe on corruption is good. And when we recognize that he is holy and that his judgments are right and just in all that we see in our own lives, and we cry out to him for forgiveness, then we experience coming to know the one true eternal God. And I want to share with you today those that have received Jesus Christ, how I share these messages. It says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We as Christians are commanded to speak in such a way to one another that we are always culturing, allowing God to speak through us, especially when we gather together and become more conscious of Christ in the assembly of our gatherings than of one another of any program or things that are going on at the stage at the front. In the early church, there was total liberty for them to share. They didn't have to ask permission to use the mic or any of that. They just, when they sensed the Spirit of God rise up in them, allowed the Spirit to come forth in utterances, speaking as the oracles of God. This is amplified in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
when we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart, out of love for God, we will experience the Spirit rise up in us and come forth with utterances beyond ourselves that we can even not even put in normal language because what we're perceiving that is coming out of the animation, animation of the Spirit of God upon our heart is so wonderful, sometimes we can't put it in words. As the old hymn says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And so it comes forth, maybe in a tongue that we interpret because we see what we are speaking, but we can't put it in English words. It comes forth that way, but we know what we have seen, and so we describe it. In other words, we are praying with the understanding of what we are seeing in the Spirit. And hearing. And in a sense, the seeing is hearing and the hearing is seeing. So God comes forth in prophetic utterance. In other words, speaking is the oracles of God that testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ in our midst is indeed God communicated to us fully manifest in human form. Yeah, the other reason God is almighty is because he must be in person each to rule over the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as God the Father, in creation as God the Son, and filling all creation and omnipresence as God the Holy Spirit. And if he couldn't be in personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence, how could he be almighty? He could only be almighty by being in conscious, intelligent rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, beyond the time and space, realm, beyond creation, in creation, and feeling all creation and omnipresence as the Holy Spirit. So I'm sharing with you about the one true eternal God, and I share these descriptions for those that are new of who the one true eternal God is. So I will seek to speak these messages out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. Like it says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies of Jesus is out of worship. And so I will seek to speak this message out of worship, a heart set and a mindset of worship. So what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters in the Bible. Then I meditate on them for only a half an hour, and then I speak. And I don't know what I'm going to say today. I'm just going to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship to allow as much of God to come forth and far less of anything of my own mind getting in the way. Okay? So I want to share with you what God is saying by his Spirit to the churches in this particular time in this hour of February the 27th of 2023 on Monday. First of all, I also seek to find a song, and I do do that also by the casting of a lot. And today the song is not one that I had the time to create a background with words that would go with it, but it is a song I choose out of 1,250 songs. This one came from a church that I went to years ago. 
We will play that one, but we will also play one that can be used on the overhead projector, which you will find on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. Pardon me, not ultimatemeaning.com. It's my other website, loverealize.com. There, there is a worship song playlist in a gallery format where you can use those on an overhead projector if you're connected with the internet and can play through that projector those YouTube videos. And all of those songs are made so you can use them that way with a nice background and words. Sometimes the background is just plain, but they're all exceptional songs because I'm very, very particular that songs have depth and meaning and the words that they're creative, that the tunes are creative and not monotonous like some of these modern tunes are as well as words. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that there are some really good modern songs as well. But overall, there seems to be a lot less creativity in the body of Christ because we're not used to using the gifts of the Spirit and leadership does not facilitate it. We're so used to sitting back and being passive. God wants us as his people to stir up the gifts of God, to allow the body to be built up by every member supplying of what they have been experiencing during the week and bringing that all the riches like a rich smorgasbord compared to just hearing one sermon. That's what he wants in these last days. Now, I've written a book on this that you can get on Amazon. It's got a lot nicer cover than this one, and this might not show up with the chroma key background very well, but it's called Godheadship and Body Invasion, and it's all about what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And I don't want to get into that too much. I want to get into song right now and the message, so we're going to do this shorter first song, that comes from years ago because the la it's there's 1,080 songs that I choose by lot from the hymn book, but then another uh, 177, I believe it is, songs or so that I recorded from the past that are exceptional, or most of them are really good songs. So this one doesn't have the words to it, so we'll listen to it first, and then we'll go to the other one that does have the words to it, which is after I really like the second one we're going to play here, it's really good. In fact, I think you can, you'll find it on my website at loverealize.com, that one, after we play this first one. Here we go. Oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. is that song and I just felt such a beautiful presence of God that I started to weep with joy in my heart just uh, just knowing that his presence is with us it doesn't matter what we're going through or whether we can feel his presence or not even but how wonderful when he gives us the comforting of his presence sometimes it it brings one to tears when you feel the presence of God just flowing through your being while you're worshiping him. And so this other one is, is a song that is kind of very different, but it is a powerful, encouraging song too. And so we're going to now go to this new one that's on my, you can also get on my website. 
It's called The Name of Jesus is Our Stand. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. 
brothers and sisters. The Word of God says there's a cloud of witnesses watching us as we run our pilgrimage or our race in this world. I think of the martyrs. There was one. I think it was Justin. I don't know for sure if it was Justin. It was one of the early church fathers. And he's about to be devoured by lions. And he hears a voice, and I guess others heard it too, saying, play the man. Does that mean that we overcome in our own strength? No. It says in the word of God, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. That is what God is calling for each of us is to know such a love relationship with him that we can entrust our lives whether we are not allowed to go through such trials or whether we are tortured on the death. God's grace is there to bring us through. It's not our strength. It's our abiding in him and having his strength in us to overcome all things. What does the word of God say? It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, I want to share with you the two chapters I received today by the casting of Lot before God. So we will go to those two chapters now. I received Psalm 64 and 2 Samuel 1. Both of these chapters are talking about arrows. In Psalm 64, we'll read maybe the whole psalm because it's so short. Really, I don't know. Um, I have the key verses, though, first of all, in Psalm 64 on these. this. It says, beginning in verse 7, But God shall shoot at them which with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall fall flee away. Now, before that verse, in verse 2 beginning, we read, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words that may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. But we see the latter end, is that God shall shoot at them with an arrow suddenly. They suddenly surprise the righteous and falsely accuse them. And there are many examples we see. I forget the name of the individual that was by, but there was corruption in the leadership of Israel, a very wicked queen, Jezebel and Ahab. And she arranges for a day of fasting, as they have once in a while, and calls people that they call the servants of Belal or the servants of Satan to suddenly stand up and accuse this righteous man because Ahab wanted his vineyard and he wouldn't give it to him because it was his rightful inheritance. And Ahab's the king, right? She says, how dare you let him, you know, I'll arrange for it. So he arranges for these false accusers. And what do they do? They accuse him of blaspheming God, this righteous man. And because the Bible 
and they believed what the scripture said, that if there's two witnesses that say it, then the person must be stoned, they went ahead and stoned him to death. Well, that was certainly a false accusing arrow that was shot, shot at him suddenly and unexpectedly. What a shock. Well, he had a wonderful entrance into the kingdom of God. You can be sure of that. And God did shoot at Ahab and Jezebel. As a result of that, the Spirit of God came upon Elijah and he sent one of his servants to anoint one of the captains of the army. I'm trying to remember his name right now. It just slips my mind a bit. It might have been Jehaziel or something like that, but anyhow. And he tells him, you are going to bring judgment upon Ahab and Jezebel and their lineage. And so sure enough, all the captains that are with him say, yeah, you should be king. And they go and they destroy Ahab. And they, the servants, they call for the servants and Ahab with all her makeup on looks out the window and he says, who's on our side? And the servants throw her out the window. She lands, I guess, three, three or four stories down and the dogs eat her. So God responded with judgment upon those that were in power that did unrighteous acts to the righteous. Now, that was received by the casting of Lot. Well, the other chapter I received by the casting of Lot is also talking about arrows. And so maybe we'll go ahead and read some of what is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, but first I want to read the part about the arrows in verse 16 to 18. And David said unto him, and this is about Saul, and a man coming to report that David's main enemy, which he loved, and Jonathan, of course, he deeply loved, were killed in battle by the Philistines because Saul had rebelled against God, refused to truly yield his power and his authority to God. And so he, God wouldn't listen to him and he consulted mediums, a witch, to bring up some, which is, of course, contrary, very contrary to the word of God. And so David has this messenger come to report the death of Saul to him. And David said unto him, Thy blood, but this messenger that came to David was an Amalekite. It's interesting. I looked up the word Amalekite, and it means licking up. But the word Amal, just before it, means perverseness. It's like people through perverseness will lick up everything that isn't even their own possessions. They'll take away from the poor. They'll do anything to be wealthy and have all their own power. Amalekite. The one that the, the Lord said there would be war with, Amalek, to the very end of time, I believe it was. There was that battle of Israel against the Amalekites. Where when Moses raised his hands up, Israel prevailed when he raised his hands up with a rod. And so they had to put a stone under both of his hands, and then he, they prevailed against the Amalekites there. But, of course, that didn't totally destroy them. 
For there is a time coming when God will totally destroy them because of their perverseness and their rebellion and their perverseness against God. I think it would be good to just read a bit of 2 Samuel here. So we'll go there now to read 2 Samuel, which should come up here quickly if I turn it the right way. Just to give you a bit of the scene. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came to pass even on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was, when he came to David, that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are also fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered, I am a Malachite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and had brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. Here was the one that was trying to take David's life, Saul. And David still had such a love and respect for him that he wept for him, and of course, very much so for Jonathan, because Jonathan and David had a covenant between them. They loved each other so much, not, of course, homosexually, but they loved each other uh, because they saw the beauty of God's boldness and courage and love in each other. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And he said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan. Saul, who pursued him, who pursued him trying to take his life. For those that don't know, Saul was trying to kill David because he was jealous of David and because he knew that David would eventually be king and take his place, and he didn't want that. Because the women said, David has slain his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. 
And so it says here, and David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jaser. This is the use of the arrow or the bow. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. And it goes on and it's a song of mourning over Saul. Of course, David deeply loved Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives and their death. They were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen? In the midst of the battle, O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen? And the weapons of war perished. Brothers and sisters, what is God saying from these passages? He is showing us, for one, that we can expect in spiritual warfare that there will be the unexpected attacks of the enemy. Now, this Amalekite lied. He did not kill Saul. Saul fell himself upon his sword in the battle because the man that was his armor-bearer was fearful and refused to kill Saul when Saul asked him to kill him. And so when his armor-bearer saw that Saul fell on his sword, he also fell on his sword and killed, and they both died there on the battle, in the battle. I don't have, it wouldn't surprise me if Saul deeply repented over his sin before he died. He had time to do that. And there is scriptures in both the New Testament and the Old that say that this, for example, in the Old Testament, it says, this sin shall not be purged from you till you die. And in the Old New Testament, it says there is a sin unto death and there is a sin not unto death. So pray for those that they might not die. They are committing sins that could cause their death. And of course, we have the example of sin that was in the middle of the Corinthian church where they um, had someone that was committing incest and Paul said, how is it that you continue to go on and praise God when you know there's sin in your midst? You should all be mourning over this and you need to deal with this man and deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Well, it turns out later in Corinthians that that man did repent and he was restored and Paul said, do not now show love and mercy to him lest he be over-swallowed up with sorrow. Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be those that are puffed up with leaven in our midst, 
but we want to partake of what the Bible calls the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. We cannot have in our lives individually or corporately places for the enemy to have ground to attack and to shoot his arrows that they might hit their mark. What shields us from that are two things. It is first of all the presence of God. Are we walking in his presence? How do we walk in his presence? How are we a vessel that contains the presence and the glory of God when we walk in a life that is holy? It is holiness that bursts in one a state of being that is wholesome or whole. It is wonderful to love the purity of love that is so pure that it will not tolerate corruption. It allows for the deep subjective satisfaction of that inner dwelling of the presence of God. As Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. When we carry the presence of God with us, that presence becomes a shield against the arrows of the enemy. Am I saying that the man that was stoned didn't have his shield up? No. That may have, may have been God's time to take that man into glory. A man of God like Dave Wilkerson went instantly into glory through a car accident. God didn't call him to be a martyr, but he lived a very a life where he experienced lots of persecution and did wonderful works for God. Someone else, why, why would, you, would it be better to have quickly died from a car accident? Or would it be better to have a slow, painful death from cancer? Some die from cancer. But whatever trial or whatever our pilgrimage is that God has foreknown for us, his grace is sufficient. And what is important is that we are walking in the light as he is in the light. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we do not, if we have things in our lives that we're allowing and justifying that are really questionable as to whether God would accept that, we should be on the safe side and play it safe with God, don't you think, and live a holy life? Not out of duty, not out of performance, out of love for who God is and his love that he would have done so much for us to have died on the cross so that we could please him and show our thankfulness to him that we're forgiven, that we're cleansed, that we're justified, that we're sanctified, that we're glorified in him because of his great love outpoured for us on the cross. And so it is out of not religious duty but out of great thankfulness and love that we thank God and we seek to always please him. And when we fall, when we get deceived by our own selfish ways or our own self-seeking ways, we repent and get up and we confess our sins. We do not fail to name what the sin is. We name it and we say, God, I did this. Or if it's a brother we sin against, we go to him and we admit our sin, humble ourselves before them, brother or sister. That way, 
The enemy has no ground. And that way, the presence of God we're carrying also comes forth with the presence of God coming out of our mouth as arrows of light that go against the powers of darkness with authority. When we speak out of the Spirit of God, we don't speak presumptuously out of our imagination. We speak out of our heart, out of a love relationship with God as we sense the Spirit rising in us and causing us to speak whatever we know is coming from the Spirit of God. Those are arrows. And remember, the first song that we received by the casting of Lot was described was from Psalm 139 that says that God's presence will be with us no matter where we are and that his thoughts are so great towards us that they cannot be numbered. We, when we come before God and we repent of our sins, it allows God to instill into us as the Jew revelation on our heart or animation in our heart of the perceptions of various aspects of the glory of God and of his kingdom. And those thoughts come forth also with words that are arrows of life unto others to break the bondage in their lives, to break the darkness that is over them that is causing oppression. And against the enemy, we can speak with authority when God leads us by his spirit to so speak. As he did to the apostle Paul with that musician, with that man that was practicing sorcery. That everyone looked up to you because they saw this and then this, this, this person was opposing Paul and he suddenly turned to him and said, you will be blind for what you have done in falsely blaspheming God and speaking against his word here. Blindness upon you now. And he was immediately blinded. So he couldn't see and people were amazed and many of them turned to Christ. That authority can come forth. It's a matter of the Spirit being sensitive to allowing to the Spirit of God and speaking as we sense the Spirit rising in us to speak. We don't speak presumptuously. God is calling us as his people to be those that can discern the Amalekite King David discerned who he was, that he was lying. And he was executed, and he executed judgment upon him because he was wanting to get some money for what he was doing, probably, and great reward from King David. And there was a number of times when people came to report the death of people to King David that wanted reward, and he slew them because he was angry with their motives of covetousness over the death of someone. And the same with his Amalekite, meaning perverse. Licking up with perverseness. The enemy would try to lick up the things of the kingdom of God or destroy or take or rob from us. But there's a time when God will restore the things that have been robbed from us as we continue to worship him and to thank him. And 
to speak against those attacks that have robbed us of what is rightfully ours. I've experienced it financially very much so. And I'm in a very difficult situation now financially, but I am believing for real great. And I've already seen miracles happening where my car's working. It's been working for three months when it really shouldn't be because the water pump was leaking and all kinds, the radiator was coming out with all, I was having to fill up all kinds of fluid in there. And I prayed once a mechanic told me what it is over the car. Hasn't been leaking for months now. It's probably about three or four months. The radiator stays up all week. It stayed up. I check it once in a while and it's always staying up. That's been going on for months because I don't have the money to get it repaired. God is a God of miracles. As soon as I, there is some money coming there probably this month and then I'll get it repaired. This is the message that God is giving today by his spirit. That he wants us to be carrying his presence as a shield to put on the whole armor of God as well. Which requires that we walk in purity, that we guard our heart. It says we are to guard our heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Christ emphasized that it was our imagination that had to be dealt with. He said, you Pharisees, you have all these things in your heart that you think and entertain. It says in Zechariah, we're not even to even imagine evil against our brother. It repeats it over and over in Zechariah, in, some, in a number of, I think a couple of chapters there. Because even our thoughts are arrows, brothers and sisters. I want to point this out. Everything we say, including our thoughts, has an amazing effect. It's like an arrow of life or an arrow of death to others. And I say that because I've done the research and written a book as I mentioned, Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon. And many genuine Christians and others as well would have what's called a life review. It's not the verse that says after the... It says... Um, basically that um, it is appointed on the man wants to die and after this the judgment. Well, these people came back, so they didn't get that final judgment. But they did get a life review because God knew he was sending them back. And every life review, like there's one, what is her name? Mary Neal, if I remember right, that I wrote about. She was a Christian, kind of not fully committed, but very genuine Christian doing kayaking in a waterfall, got trapped under the waterfall with her kayak, pinned her there. She was under there dead for a half hour before she came to the surface. She had a life review. And she saw that not only her words, and this is over and over, all of them say this, not just her, 
in the life review, you see every little thought. You see everything from the moment you're born, every little thought, every little word, every little action, deed, everything. Absorbed in a brief moment of time because your intellect is so much greater in that dimension. In some cases, it's like viewing a 3D object and going ahead and behind and you can go at every aspect of it as well, of your life. Anyhow, she's seeing that every word, every thought was affecting people. She can see its effect to 10 people over. In other words, she thinks a good thought, it affects this person a certain way, which causes them to think a certain way and do a certain thing, which affects that person. You can see the ripple effect right through, many, many times through to many, many people. Every word and thought, brothers and sisters, can be on to life or it can be on to death. That is why it is so important that we live a holy life, that we have even our thoughts, as Paul, as it says in the New Testament, that we're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We're to execute judgment on the perverseness in our own lives and the covetousness in our own lives that we are not an Amalekite. Amal meaning perverseness and kite is probably meaning people, uh, people licking up, Amalekite. Hallelujah. God is calling his people in this hour to repent of the things that are holding back the fullness of his presence in your lives individually and corporately as a body. He wants you to come into a new order under the fullness of the headship of Christ where your church never is the same, where you allow total freedom for the members of the body to move in the gifts of the Spirit and you facilitate it, where you start your meetings as a prayer meeting in the presence of God, becoming more sensitized to his presence than anything else, being more conscious of Christ than in your midst than anyone. And then out of that comes the worship. Out of that comes the spontaneous flow of the gifts of the Spirit. And then from there, the leadership ministers the word and so on and so forth. You can't go back in this hour of such great crisis in the world. We need to be ready and we need to be in such a love relationship with God that when they come in our midst, they see how much we love one another. There's not the arrows flying back and forth that are causing division. There's not a denominative mindset out of a heart of hardness, out of loves for the world, such as the gods of amusement. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch sports, but if that's where your time and your priority and your focus is, and you hardly live a life of prayer, your priorities, well, I would say you're you're in serious serious jeopardy when you're with, to lose out greatly for eternity, or to be like a branch that doesn't bear fruit and is cut down and burned. So, brothers and sisters, may we be those that are totally knowing the abundant life, the victorious life. The song that we sung was a victorious song of victory, and we can conquer our nation which is in such crisis now in the United States and Canada and around the world. 
It's obvious what the crisis is. I can't say too much here on YouTube videos. This is the time. This is the real answer to conquering your nation and overthrowing this tyranny and this corruption that has come around the world and so many large institutions and governments. It is that my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And part of turning from your wicked ways is to come into a new order under the fullness of the headship of Christ in local assembly. So that the glory of God comes in your midst and breaks the darkness over your community, your city, your nation. And this supernatural power and miraculous power of God prevails to the salvation of many like it did in the Welsh Revival, except this time, there is going to be the container. Not the shock that comes and restricts by the corruption of man trying to control things. The container that allows the fullness of the manifestation of the glory of God through his people. That is everything I have to share. Do pray for me, that God will open doors for me to serve him and to get this message out, to wake up the church. I'm in a lot of debt because of things I did trying to do business through credit cards in the past and yet not being willing to give up the time I had in prayer. I, I know if I totally gave myself to wanting to make money, I would have made lots of money, but I just wasn't willing to do that. I was unwise. So I'm asking for God to, you know, you can support me by purchasing those two books, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, or Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which was put up, I guess, around December on lying there on Amazon. Thank you for watching this message. God bless you all.